Hello and welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whenever or wherever you are listening from, we hope this podcast helps you grow in your faith and we hope you share it with others so that they can grow in their faith too. Have you ever wondered how people go from believing to actually living out their faith every single day in their lives? Today, Pastor Jason is starting a new series he calls Activate. And from the beginning of this series, it is going to help you elevate your faith and really just learn how to develop that trust in God. And then, and then you can take your faith from fearing and doubting to following and living it out. So let's listen in right now. A man was lost in the desert. He had something had gone terribly wrong. He didn't have any water. He knew that if something didn't happen soon, he he wasn't going to make it. He sees off in the distance. He thinks it's a mirage, but he sees a small hut. And he comes up upon this hut. And he goes inside and sees that there is a water pump in the middle of it. He says, okay, how do I get this water pump going? And he tries and he tries. He can't get it to start. Can't get it to work. And he sees off in the corner of the hut a water bottle. He shakes it and realizes there's water in it. And he opens it up. And as he's about to drink it, he notices there's a note attached to it that says, use this to start the pump. And now he has a decision to make. Is he going to trust the instructions? Or what if he puts in the water? It doesn't work. Or does he just go for it, satisfy his need, his thirst, and just drink the water bottle? What's going to make him trust? Well, he takes the water and he pours it in to the pump. And it starts. And there was a note on the pump that said, don't forget to fill the water bottle when you're done. This story made me think about faith. Because I feel like when it comes to our lives, we have this tendency to just want to satisfy our, our immediate needs. In a way, you could probably define that that's what sin is. Sin is the constant desire to satisfy our own needs at all costs. I would have had a tough time trusting those instructions. How long has this thing been there? Is it even going to turn over? At least if I drink this water, I might make it. What compels us to follow the instructions? Jesus came down and he said, if, if you want to get the most out of this life, if you want to have life and life to the full, right now and forever, follow me. And oftentimes we don't. And I want to dig into why. I also want to try to figure out, what is the obstacle here? Why do we seem to struggle when it comes to actually living out our faith? It's one thing to think it in your head. It's another thing to let it 
translate into how you live your life. What stops us? I think the number one obstacle is fear. Fear, like if I do this, it might not work. If I put the water into the pump, it may not turn over. It may not start. I think a lot of it's fear, maybe even a lot more than we think. I'm afraid that if I go all in in my faith, then God's going to take me down a road I don't want to go, which is a very weird fear. What kind of God would do that? <laughs> right? I mean, not, not the God that we believe in. God's going to mess up my life. Even if I'm miserable, that's the funny part. We could be absolutely miserable and like, I don't know, I wonder, that might be rough. Like, how's it going now? But it's that whole, the pain I know is better than the pain I don't know. Fear stops us from following, often. What overcomes the fear? Well, it's faith. We talked about last week, the definition of faith is confidence in God. The more confidence in God that we have, the more we're able to move forward. The more we're able to overcome fear. And if you want to know what you really believe, think about this. Think about your choices. As I was writing this sermon this week, I was thinking about this for myself. My behavior reflects what I really believe. What I choose tells me whom I put my trust in or in what I put my trust in. And the instructions are always better than just drinking the water bottle. You ever try to put together furniture without instructions? Guilty. Doesn't go well. Newsflash. I know you handy people are like, meh. need no instruction this guy does <laughs> this is true with life life goes better when we follow the instructions it really is that simple it's not easy but it's very simple when we follow when we follow jesus call when he says follow me you have to believe and trust that your life's going to be better if the creator of if there is a god let's just follow this out if there is a god and we believe he showed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He was God with us, God incarnate, in flesh. And he tells us the instructions of how to have life to the full with him. We believe he's the same God that created the universe and everything in it. That somehow we don't trust that this God has our best interests in mind. It's crazy. And we might as well just not believe. God wants you to be the best version that he envisioned you to be as possible. He wants you to step into that person he created you full of joy and peace and faith. Faith isn't just for the Mother Teresas of the world. Faith is for all of us. The instructions are better. All right, I'm going to take you back a little time, time machine. Does anybody remember, I'm showing my age, does anybody remember this cartoon, The Wonder Twins? Anybody? I mean, thank you. One. Great. Oh, two. Okay, two, three. Maybe four of you, right? You might have to Google that. The Wonder Twins. The Wonder Twins were so goofy. It was kind of a weird deal. But when they were fighting the bad guys, they could activate these powers. They have to say that. They would say, 
Wonder Twins, activate. Activate. And then it'd be like a form of a giant sea slug and an iceberg. I'm like, how is that helpful? They had rules about what they could do, right? I mean, anyway, the Wonder Twins. Here's the thing about the Wonder Twins that, I know this is really dumb, but I promise it's going somewhere. They always had the capacity, but nothing happened until they consciously activated it. This is exactly true in our faith. We have the capacity to follow God. We have the capacity to become the people he's called us to be. But you have to activate it. You have to consciously decide you're going to do it or you never will. And then you wonder why it's not working. It's because you never really activated your faith. Let me put it this way. Lane Adams once famously said, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. The value is in the application. What good is it to say we believe in something and then it just kind of doesn't show up in our lives? Then you could probably question, do we really believe it? Do we have confidence in it? That's what this sermon series is going to be about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk, weeks, we're going to talk about how to activate your faith, how to move from a place of fear to a place of following. How many of you have ever done an escape room? Yeah. Our family, we love escape rooms, we discovered. Uh, we, we did over the last year or two, maybe a couple, yeah, three? We do three? And uh, it's great because like all five of us, right, we can get in there and we can kind of figure it out. Let me tell you something about escape rooms, though. If you've never done them, just know you're going to learn a lot about the people that you go with and you're going to learn a lot about yourself. Because under pressure and the timeline trying to figure it out, you, it kind of reveals like who you really are, <laughs> for better or worse. Um, so as we're doing the escape room, I'll tell you this, trust is the only thing that makes an escape room work. You have to trust each other. The only way they make it work. And uh, <laughs> some of that trust is inherent, and some of it comes as you go, right? Some of it is already there, and some happens along the way. I think this is true with God. I think we begin from a place of trust, like we have a certain amount of trust in God, but the more we go, the more we find the clues to whatever it is in our life, the more we discover that. It also builds faith as we go. Our faith is so dynamic, but it's like a snowball, right? It does have to start from somewhere. But then it grows the more we use it. It's like a muscle. It grows and becomes stronger the more that we use it. So, what pushes us from fearing to following? It's trust. Trust activates our following. We move from believing to doing. Now, I want to first address a myth about faith. Here's the myth. And I hear this all the time. In order to follow, I can't have any fear. Pastor, I'm, I have too much fear. I can't, I can't do it. When I was 12 years old, growing up in Southern California, Los Angeles area, we went on a sixth grade class trip to Big Bear. Big Bear is a place there that you would go to ski and the mountains. And uh, we did this class trip, and our class, sixth grade class, did a high ropes course. 
I didn't know I was afraid of heights until that trip. We get on the high ropes course. I was about halfway through our class, and you had to climb up this telephone pole with pegs on it. And then basically, I mean, you were in a harness, but basically walk a tightrope to the other pole with pegs on it. It was really high. I don't know how high. In my head, it was 100 feet. It was probably like 30, but I was 12. So I'm getting more and more anxious as I'm waiting for my turn. Finally, it's my turn. They harness me up. I start climbing up, and I froze there for a second. And I started, like, shaking. I, I couldn't control it. I was just terrified. And then I heard, and, you know, and everything's rushing through my 12-year-old brain, right? Like, oh, they're going to make fun of you, and, you know, you got to do it. You got to keep going, and, yeah, but what if I die? You know, all those things. So I'm climbing up, and, and then I could hear, like, my classmates and my teachers and everything encouraging me. And I was thinking, you know, those other kids did it. I could do it. I could do it. I went up. I got to the top. took me a really long time, and I thought I was going to pass out. But I made it across the little tightrope thing all the way to the other side, worked my way down. Do you think I did that because I didn't have any fear? No, I was terrified. But I had just a little more faith than I did fear. Here's an equation for you that I found to be true. Fear over faith makes me frozen. If I have more fear than faith, I won't go forward. I won't take a step. I won't do whatever's next. I'll allow it to stop me. And yet faith over fear, and I could follow. And sometimes it's just a little more faith than fear. But I could take a step. I could go across the tightrope. Trembling, but I can do it. Here's the first thing about activating our faith. Activating trust means managing fear, not eradicating it. As we journey through this series, we're going to go through the book of Acts. The book of Acts chronicles how the disciples went from a place of fear to following. They were literally hiding from the Roman authorities after Jesus was crucified because they were scared they were next. And then something happened that sent them out into Jerusalem and eventually the world to share the good news of Jesus without fear. Every single one of them died as martyrs. And that didn't stop them. The fear of that didn't stop them. What happened? And what can we learn from it? What pushed the disciples from fearing to following and changing the world? So let's talk for a sec about the book of Acts. The book of Acts, uh, written by Luke, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It was part of a two-part series that he wrote on the historical record of Jesus. Luke, so Luke wasn't necessarily even with Jesus uh, early on in his ministry, but he was certainly a part of what he saw and did uh, in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is just chronicling, you know, Paul's missionary journey, all the things that were going on, how the church really got going and got started 
we see in the book of Acts. Written about 50 years after the resurrection, which, which makes sense. There's some time in there where they're doing things, and so it makes sense it was written after that. And the purpose is, how do I live? How do I activate my faith? So I think it's perfect for our journey over the next couple of weeks. Here are Luke's words in the very beginning of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who Theophilus is. But it's a reminder that he's writing to somebody for the purpose of the record. And you'll see if you go to the Gospel of Luke, he also mentions Theophilus at the beginning of that one. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions. Interesting. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So what made them trust the instructions? Well, next verse. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Yeah, that would do it. I'll put it to you this way. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, they never would have went anywhere. But they saw him. They saw, them. They saw him die, and then they saw resurrected him. And it changed them. They had an encounter with Jesus that pushed out fear and brought in faith. Let's keep going. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have, been, which you have heard me speak about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is interesting. So we see earlier that Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to go into the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I am with you always. These are the marching orders that he had given his disciples. Like, you're going to go into all the world. You're going to take this hill. You're going to go into all the world, and you're going to bring the gospel to it. The world's going to be transformed of the good news. And then his first kind of instructions to them are what? Do not leave Jerusalem Next slide. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. So it's like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to take the world. The first thing I want you to do is stay a little longer. That's kind of like in Braveheart. Freedom! Next year. (laughs) Right? Or halftime at Hoosiers. All right, boys, we're going to go finish this game next month. It takes a little bit of the juice out of it. This first thing that Jesus tells them to do is to stay and wait for an undefined amount of time until you receive the gift that was promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is something that's wild about faith. Sometimes trust is about waiting. One of those things that says God answers your prayers, yes, no, or wait. I feel like I'm in the wait zone a lot. 
God makes them wait. He says, no, he could have done it right there. All right, here's the Holy Spirit. Go. He didn't do that. I'm curious as to why. What is it about waiting that develops our trust in God? Why does God make them wait? I have a couple of ideas on this. I don't know if they're true. They're educated guesses. Here's the first one. God gave them time to start living into it. What do I mean? Well, it used to be, at least before Jesus died on the cross, to follow Jesus literally meant you get up and you follow Jesus wherever he goes. That's following Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it started a new way of following him. You weren't going to be able to just see him. You had to trust. I think what God was doing was developing their trust muscle. Because if he would just give them the, the Holy Spirit, I don't know if they would be even be ready to get, receive it. There's something about waiting that can prepare us, even though nobody likes waiting. Think about how impatient we are as a society. Or just, I'll just talk about myself. If you don't have high-speed internet and I come to your house... No, seriously, though, I don't have patience. Can you imagine having to deal with dial-up now? <laughs> some, of you, some of you young folks never had the joy of dealing with dial-up internet. Like, you'd log in, and like half hour later, you're, you're online. I want instant coffee. I want it now. I don't want to wait. We, we're all pretty impatient. But what if God leverages waiting to prepare you for what he wants to give you? I think this happens more often than we think. Because we all want God to show up and fix whatever needs fixing now. I got this in my life. God, I want you to come fix it. I think sometimes God's like, I got you, but I need you to wait. Because you need to trust. You need to build this faith so that when I give it to you, you're going to know where it came from. You're going to be ready to receive it. I think also, it's like if God were to say, go take this hill, and they started going out and preaching the gospel, and everything was going great, they might think it was them and not God. I think it's a reminder that God controls the mission and the miracle. We don't. God decides. It's God doing it, not us. I think it's a reminder to us, well, what do we do when we're in this season of waiting? We're reminded, again, we don't control the miracle. And waiting requires that we trust. It's like waiting for your mom to pick you up after school or after sports. And they're late. My mom was always late. You know they're going to show up, but the doubt starts to creep in the longer you wait. But something happens when then she comes to pick you up, that builds trust. Okay, yeah, you did show up. So the next time you're late, I don't have to be as worried. It develops a faith muscle in us. Waiting, I think, is a spiritual discipline that helps us grow in our faith in God. Let me put it to you this way when it comes to us following. Overdeveloped control can make you start too early. And underdeveloped trust can make you quit too soon. 
overdeveloped control. We love us some control. Can make you start too early. Okay, go, 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 go. And underdeveloped trust to quit too soon. Uh, oh yeah, this isn't gonna work. I tried being a Christian for a whole week. This just isn't gonna work. So let's see, what did the apostles do? So they get this, okay, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the gift my father promised. This is what they do. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Then they start having this conversation about the fact that Judas Iscariot was no longer one of them. And what do we do about it? Seems like we're missing one. Peter gets up and he reads a scripture to say, this is what I think we should do. Verse 20 says, For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That's interesting. So this does not sound terribly exciting to me. Jesus, he quite dramatically goes up into heaven, gives him the marching orders to wait. And then they just kind of do regular stuff. It doesn't sound all that exciting. They have a committee meeting to decide if they're going to bring in another disciple. I don't know, that doesn't really inspire me. But I feel like this feels like everyday life. We're waiting for the big thing to come, but what really matters is the faithfulness in the little thing, or the big thing isn't going to do anything. So what did they do? Let's, let's track their actions after Jesus told them to wait. What did they do? They returned to Jerusalem, which is what? Exactly what Jesus told them. to stay in Jerusalem. So they did. That's it. Then what they do? They join together in prayer. Why would they do that? To get direction, to get instructions, to make sure that they're connected with God. And then what they do? They made a prayerful, scripture-based, scripture-informed decision on bringing in another disciple. What is our life but to do those things as well? Jesus gives us instructions, we do them, we pray, we make scripture-informed decisions about different things. That is the Christian life. And here's the result. Don't miss this. Here's the result. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that literally transformed the world. In other words, they're exactly where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there to receive the miracle. To be empowered to do something that they never saw coming. More than they ever could have asked or imagined. Their entire life's purpose. Think about the joy 
and the shock and amazement of being sent out by the Holy Spirit to speak in languages you didn't even know to share the good news of Jesus. So when we're waiting, what do we do? We follow the instructions. We pray. We do life with other Christians. We make prayerful, scripture-informed decisions. Again, sometimes trust is about waiting. Why? A couple years ago, my oldest son and I, we're all at our annual trip to Vermont, and it's the place where you could see a million stars. And we, we usually get the benefit of there's a meteor shower almost every year. Sometimes it's cloudy and you can't see it, but it was one of those years, it was perfectly clear, meteor shower, and uh, we were walking, we had left the campfire where the rest of our family was, and we started heading back to our cabin, and we're heading up this hill. We get to the top of the hill, and he and I saw the most spectacular shooting star I've, I've ever seen in my life. It looked like a comet had entered the atmosphere. It was brilliant and beautiful. It was orange and blue, and I mean, it's incredible. And we still talk about that moment. Nobody else saw it, but we did. And it got me thinking, had we left the cabin 10 seconds later, we would have missed it. Why does God want us to wait? Because he wants us to be there so we don't miss the miracle. He wants us to be right where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there, to receive what he wants to give us. The only way we do that is we activate our trust in God by waiting. The prophet Isaiah said it this way. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I don't know what it looks like for you in your life right now to activate your trust in God. Maybe you feel like you're up on that telephone pole getting ready to cross that high wire, and you're terrified. Listen, all you need is enough faith to overcome the fear one little step at a time. What's that mean? Well, maybe in your job or in your family or with your friends or with your circumstances, God's calling you to trust more. He's saying, I got you. Follow me. You don't have to follow me all the way there today. Follow me right now. Take a step. Trust me. I am with you. And when we do that, we move from fear to following. We activate our faith. Amen.